Welcome to App Talk with Uptick, where we dig into the nitty gritty of how to grow apps and games. We speak with industry experts about specific strategies, tools, and tactics they use to find success, and we keep you up to date with emerging news and trends in the ever-changing marketing, games, and technology ecosystem. My name is Andrew Gosta, Director of Marketing here at Uptick, and joining me today is... Warren Woodward, Co-Founder of Uptick. That's it. And the reason for that is because we are wrapping up Season 3 with this episode. You know, we have a lot of news to cover still, so we wanted to get that out of the way. Um, but we want to let everyone know we're taking a little bit, little bits of a break, and we will be back with season four at the end of May. Uh, a lot of interesting guests already scheduled. Warren, what do you think? Yeah, no, it, it, uh, we'd love to hear everyone's feedback on the season. We tried uh, quite a few new things. I think we tried to be more diligent to a schedule. Um, we also you know, had our first uh, experiment with semi-live podcasting, like in the field podcasting. Um, obviously a lot of web three focus this season too. Let us know if you guys are getting sick of that or if you want more, more, more. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be back shortly. Um, I'm in the midst of a move to the East coast. So getting a couple of weeks to, to work on that. And, uh, the guests so far are looking really exciting for next season, but we would also love to get some fresh perspectives. So if you have, um, you know, a topic that you think would be exciting to talk about and you work in the, I'd say in the gaming or growth marketing space, uh, we would love to talk to you and you can reach us. What's, what's the best way to get in touch? There's several ways. Apptalk at uh, uptick.com is one good way to get hold of us or at uptick on Twitter. We monitor yeah. those both very closely. Awesome. So yeah, I think we, we have a few things to dig into today. Like Xander said, it was a crazy amount of news. Um, we also wanted to talk a little bit more up top about uh, a new thing that we launched uptick that we referred to, but just go a little more in depth. And that's uh, our community uh, community growth initiative for Web3 games. So this is interesting. This, this, this came about because we started looking at the state of Web3 gaming projects. And you know, for better or for worse, a lot of the majority of the industry is still in a pretty nascent stage. And a lot of them are seeking help for growth. But you know, this is like pre-launch of the game. What we're hearing from uh, developers we talk to is there's not a lot of good solutions for this on the market. And so we started looking at like, well, what's the right way to do this, you know, and thinking that advertising, which is, you know, a lot of our bread and butter is probably not the most optimal way. So we built this um, organic outreach machine and team for specifically focusing on games. And this is like growing within the core Discord and Twitter communities, like largely people within the Web3 uh, gaming ecosystem already. This is not like going after mainstream gamers. This is going after early adopters. We're about to roll out our first um, kind of first playbook for this organic early stage community growth. We're really excited about it. I think so far, so good. That was another piece of news we released since the last podcast, which was uh, the developer Arrivant. We're currently in our first uh, our first engagement for. So um, we had uh, Ramin from their founding team on recently legendary game designer and economist. Yeah, so I don't know, Xander, what am I leaving out here? There's a lot of moving pieces to this. I've been I've been so head down in it, I might be missing something obvious. Yeah, I think the, the key thing that you sort of called out was that we found that a lot of these Web3 games that are getting a lot of funding um, and have really awesome teams are basically not to market yet, but they still want ways to get in front of their their growth, to, to increase their growth and get in front of communities. And so basically, right. I think when, when I look at this, what we're sort of trying to do is offer 
a service to games of any size in any stage. And so that's really what this is. Um, from my perspective, it's like, hey, if your game is pre-product, but you want to start your marketing activities already, we have a tool and system that is very uptick in that it's very data focused and operationally heavy. And, you know, we think about it, we think about it really intelligently, um, but no matter what your stage is, we're going to have a product offering for you. And so that's really what I think about, you know, what the community growth offering is. It's for games that are relatively before that do not fit cleanly into our traditional service because they don't have a fully fledged marketable product yet. Right. Yeah. Well put. And, and I realize I should probably clarify like what we actually do during this stage. So probably good. Uh, yeah, the, the core of this is partnerships with like-minded communities. So, you know, just to touch on this, like really high level, essentially what we'll do is like a big research period where we build out a list of uh, communities that we think would be great partner communities where we'd love to bring their communities into our game or the game that, that, that we represent. Um, we then work with uh, the with, with our partner, with the developer, to build like a list of incentives and ways that we can bring value to these partner communities. We then go out and do outreach to them and basically see you know, from our hit list who's down to partner. Um, and from this, we you know, create some really good uh, inbound community growth to, our, you know, to, the, to the game that we represent. And besides just doing the, the footwork of the planning and the outreach, also designing all of the marketing collateral you need for that. So, you know, this could be like specific visual assets to make a particular partnership more exciting or enticing. Um, we're even doing cool things for like the partnerships that will be the best, best for our projects where we're working with the developer to actually do some in-game integrations. Like imagine like the partner community NFT represented in some way in the game, um, you know, in, in the game that you're coming into. So a lot of cool stuff like that. It's very blue sky right now. Um, and so, you know, besides looking for people interested, interested in this kind of work, um, we are also just kind of looking for feedback on the idea because there's not a proven playbook for this. And uh, we're really excited to try. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. We're sort of accidentally running into a whole a bunch of other business segments that could potentially be interested in this tooling. Spoke to gaming guilds yesterday. They seem they could be interested in the same stuff. So um, we'll see we'll see where this takes us. But if you're yeah. interested, just please reach out. Uh, we well, can, yeah, and, and, and one last one last thing because we actually have been getting a ton of people reaching out. Like, do not bother reaching out to us if you're not like building a real deal game. We have no interest in like chilling your NFT set or your like you know a vaporware game that you know might or might not exist five years from now. Um, we, what we do want to work with is really awesome uh, high pedigree teams that are you know, planning to ship real games, uh, ideally on mobile and with a free-to-play on-ramp. That's, uh, I'd say, our ideal partner for this. Awesome. Well, as you mentioned at the top, we have a ton of news, and so we're just going to dig right into that. We're going to stick with the Web3 theme in the short term. Uh, Warren, I think you have an experience and an article you'd like to discuss. Yeah, let's go. So. This weekend, uh, the big news in the Web3 community was the uh, Bored Apes Other Side collection launch. So this is essentially like the land in the Bored Ape ecosystem, but they're really positioning this as um, a new new IP uh, in their family. So you know, we linked to a couple of articles uh, here. You know, the first one is from Reuters, and it's Bored Ape NFT company raises around 285 million in crypto virtual land sale. Um, and I've heard different numbers about that. I've heard you know, closer to 325 uh, from other sources. Uh, and then we're also linking to a Verge article. The headline is Board Ape Yacht Club Creators, Metaverse, Mint, Rocks, the Ethereum Blockchain. So just a quick poll quote, and then I'll, I'll share some anecdotes. Um, so uh, 
from the Verge article, Yuga Labs, the Web3 company behind the Board Ape Yacht Club, disrupted the entire Ethereum blockchain as a flood of users rushed to purchase NFTs representing virtual plots of land in its upcoming metaverse project, Other Side. A total of 55,000 other deeds sold at a flat price of 305 ApeCoin, or around $5,800 at the time of purchase, raising about $320 million in what was considered the largest NFT mint in history. So, uh, yeah, I participated in this, for better or for worse, mostly for worse. Um, and yeah, it definitely broke the whole Ethereum blockchain. Um, you couldn't do anything for most of Saturday night without spending literal thousands of dollars to do any sort of basic transaction. Um, this, this, there's a lot to unpack here. It was kind of a kind of a mess. The whole process of the mint. Um, you know, I was someone who uh, was on the you know on on the basically on the presale list for this, the whitelist, and I purchased or attempted to purchase the second that it went live. Um, about six hours later, my transaction was still pending, and everything had completely sold out. Jesus. Yeah, and that was after you know they did a pretty rigorous. Um, uh, it's called the KYC process, know your customer, mm -hmm. um, that Yuga and Animoca, who's their partner for this. Uh, so they basically, without disclosing what it was, what was it, a few weeks ago, they they put out um, essentially like a mysterious form you could fill out and you had to validate your, identi your identity in a very in-depth process. Uh, this is the KYC portion, right. which caused a lot of blowback in and of itself in the crypto community. Um, but if you did this process, basically, then you were uh, on the whitelist for for the sale. So that being said, um, didn't matter for most people. Uh, you still, you know, had had little chance of being able to buy it unless you spent literal thousands of, of dollars in just ETH, ETH gas fees. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on that note, the best estimate is that about $123 million in Ethereum was burned of just people attempting to basically just the tax or the, the you know, the cost to be allowed to to buy with your with your other ETH, so yeah, they, they, that's ridiculous. I mean, this yeah. is a pretty good argument. I mean, clearly, we, you know, I think the people the counter argument to what I'm about to say is that oh, it's early and we're going to solve this over time. But this is like a really good argument about why crypto blockchains are like still not very functional. Yeah, it's a it's such a bad look. I mean, I uh, I, I wanted to see this go well because um, you know I I'm not I, I don't own anything board a collection myself, but it's just sort of the for better or for worse, the, the figurehead of, you know, at least the NFT space. Yeah. Um, I wanted to see their play into gaming go a little better. I I don't know. There's I mean, there's two go ahead, Xander. Well, just to, yeah. they have they now have so much money. Right. Right. And I think that's at the end of the day, who did this go bad for? I mean, it's like the the whales in the ecosystem are the ones who really are ended up paying the brunt of the cost, right? It's people who are willing to to pay that extra. Although I guess like everyday users at the end of the day it went yeah. fine for the board ape yuga right like they're fine they got their 750 million <laughs> between this yeah. and their, their I, fundraise. I think they're, they had a bit more of a reputation of a like can do no wrong um, sure. as a team before this so i think there's a little blemish on the reputation but i think ultimately it'll be short-lived as you know as big of news as it is this week like now the question is okay what is this so um oh and we should note that they are reimbursing uh anyone who lost fees and wasn't able to, to mint. So that's a nice move by the team just to give credit. Yeah. So now the question is like, so what is this? And we're waiting, maybe by the time the spot is live, information will be released. But, you know, here we are four days after the mint, 
and people still aren't exactly sure what they just bought, which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is going to be, you know, it's positioned as the land in their metaverse and gaming gaming ecosystem. And that's, I think that's the exciting side is like, okay, now they have this funding. Um, they are the leading IP in the space. What can they do with it? And I'm very bullish on the fact that they are doing this with, with Animoca um, right. as a team. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the native team for Board Ape, um, I would be a little more nervous if it was just them trying to build the game on their own. But I think it makes a lot of sense to partner with Animoca. And, and they have what, like 325, they have like three quarters of a billion dollars yeah. to build this game. So I think this could be good. Um, I don't know. I'm cautiously, I'm, even though it was super frustrating to see what happened this weekend, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, or I should no, I'm just excited to see like what actually gets built. I don't know if I'll be like buying in or, you know, putting any financial stake in it, but I do really want to see what the space two of the space leaders with Animoca and Board Ape can do with three quarters of a billion dollars to go make a gaming metaverse. I think that's that's pretty exciting to see. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I, I hope they do well. With the, it's pretty amazing what you just said. A, a bunch of people just spent half a billion dollars on a bunch of NFTs for a project they know nothing about. I mean, that seems like, and Animoca is one of the most reputable brands in the space, but that, if that doesn't scream giant freaking bubble, like, I don't, I don't really know what it does. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty wild to, to imagine, like, think of how much money that is. And like, I understand that people are buying in because of the brands associated with it. Um, but I mean, this, it, it sounds like pets.com a little bit. I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but it's like literally, you know, Websites like Pets.com existed, and there was no business behind it. And people poured a bunch of money in, and then when the market tanked, they lost a bunch of money. And this is in the '90s, obviously. I mean, this is very, very comparable in that people are pouring billions of dollars, or sorry, hundreds of millions of dollars into this ecosystem. And there's nothing. I mean, there's bored apes, but we don't know what we're getting yet. And so that, I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, I think there's a very there's a decent possibility that they're able to make a game. But I mean, game making is hard. And just because you have a bunch of funding doesn't mean you're going to get it. You're going to nail it. So I mean, we'll see. I'm curious. I'm very curious. Yeah, and it, it's kind of interesting because uh, you know, the, the 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 direct from consumer or community funds here was you know a little over 300 million. And this next news article I see that you have queued up, Xander, gives us an example of something else you can buy for about 300 million. Yeah, nice transition. All right, so this next article is um, an article entitled from GamesIndustry.biz entitled "Embracer Acquires Crystal Dynamics, Idios Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal for $300 million. Yearly, eerily similar number in terms of price. Um, Embracer Group is to acquire three major Western studios from Japanese publisher Square Enix, as well as the biggest Western, de Western developed intellectual properties, Crystal Dynamics, Idios Montreal and Square Enix Montreal will be part of the growing publisher along with 100, or sorry, 1,100 staff across three developers and eight locations around the world. The deal cost Embracer $300 million. As part of the deal, Embracer is also purchasing Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and the Legacy of Kane franchise, as well as their backlog, back catalog of uh, more than 50 titles. So this is... is it's pretty wild because for the same cost as they just minted uh, for uh, uh, with other deeds, the, yeah. the other you, side lands, yeah, other yeah, deeds, the other deeds, you can buy three iconic gaming studios with over a back catalog of over fifty titles. And so there's something there is something to be said here though. So like despite having iconic and amazing IP, these assets are somewhat 
distressed in that they're not, they're not terrible, they're not terribly, they're not underwater, but Crystal Dynamics had a profit of 3.6%, uh, profit margin 3.6% last year, and EDS Montreal had less than 1%. So these are game studios, which are not firing it on, on all cylinders, not printing a ton of money. It's not the same, you know, margin as like an Activision Blizzard, which gets, gets bought for a much higher margin. Um, but like the amount that you can acquire now, like, you know, literally a thousand people who are talented game developers develop some of the most iconic games in the world, like DSX, Tomb Raider, like those are some of the most iconic games, Thief, those are some of like the most iconic, iconic games of all time. Um, and the fact that that's, that's what you can get on one side versus the Yuko Labs thing is, it's pretty wild to me. Personally, I'd buy three game studios and go and like re reinvigorate them. But um, the other thing to say is like Embracer is now a behemoth. They're just gobbling up studio after studio after studio. And like, I don't even really, it's really interesting because they they have gone off to like the federated studio model where they don't have a lot of centralized resources. They sort of just let the companies live on their own. Um, I'm very curious what you think about that as a strategy and how we think we have, what we expect from Embracer going forward, as well as what they're getting for the price. Yeah, I mean, I, I think these two articles provide a very nice snapshot of you know May 2022 state yeah. of the gaming industry. Right, yeah. we see. Uh, you know, we see probably, you know, relative to any other point in recent history, an undervaluing of traditional, um, even, you know, I mean, Tomb Raider, like some of these, some, some of these IPs are pretty, there's, there's a world where just the Tomb Raider franchise sold for many multiples of this, like, just not too, not too long ago. So we're seeing like the undervaluing of traditional gaming developers and IPs and, um, you know, I, I I don't want to say overvaluing specifically for other side because if anything can sustain that valuation, it's it's them. But for the space at large, uh, NFTs at large, uh, definitely wildly overvalued um, for the the average collection that you know we, we see selling out right now. Um, the power of the board ape brand though may just be able to bulldoze that yeah, company yeah. and continue. I mean, anytime, anytime people have slept on them or doubted them in the past, it's, it's proved them wrong. Yeah. But it, it's very interesting to see. And and Xander, I don't think you mentioned, but um it's in one of the in the PC gamer article, uh, it mentions that uh Square Enix sells DSX Tomb Raider Studios to fund blockchain and AI projects. So <laughs> oh, I miss that completely. Yeah. So they basically Square Enix is basically, you know, selling off its quote unquote like dusty old franchises and dump that money into uh, NFTs. Man, yeah, I don't even know what to think about that. Sometimes I just wonder if I'm a grumpy old man. I don't understand, or if I'm just the only one with a, a mild head. I, I like I'm not sure. <laughs> um, yeah, let, let's. Uh, I don't have much more to say about this, except for I guess we'll have to wait and see because it seems if I was them, I'd find ways to reinvigorate these franchises. But I would try and find other ways to reinvigorate these franchises and then sell them off. But what do, what do I know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess my last thought is like, you know, everyone who listens to this, I'm hugely bullish on Web3 gaming as far as like the technology and what it can bring to space. But every friggin' week, there's some uh, legacy game company that is uh, finding a way, making a big announcement uh, that they are, you know, going into blockchain gaming and it when everyone is innovating in exactly the same way Innovation. no one's really innovating that much yeah, yeah. I mean, so you yeah. make a lot of money by bidding against everyone going one direction and if i knew a way to bet, make that bet right now i would um 
So uh, speaking of innovating uh, and re reinvigorating old franchises, uh, we want to talk a little bit about Activ Activision Blizzard, a, f a handful of different things going on right now. Um, there's a, a new a GameIndustry.biz article uh, entitled Activision Bl uh, Blizzard Sales and Engagement Tumble. Here's a small quote. Activision Blizzard today reported its financial results in the first quarter of the year, showing a precipitous drop as its Activision and at its Activision and Blizzard divisions. Company-wide, revenues were down 22% year-over-year to $1.77 billion, while net bookings slid 26% to $1.48 billion. Net income from this period was down 36% to $395 million. Okay, so you know, Activision has been distressed for a couple years, uh, previously one of my largest positions, and I sold out of it just in time to miss the big bump when they sold to Microsoft, which is great. Um, but this has been coming for, you know, I think anyone who's been watching this space is, is shouldn't, it shouldn't be super um, unexpected. And the reason for that is because they're the definition of a hits-based traditional game publishing model. Um, and so when they have offset, when either they're hits don't hit or they have an off cycle period where they're not releasing anything new, you see a substantial decrease in their revenues. So uh, just to call it some specific numbers, Activision itself was down 49% year over year to, four, to 453 million. And their MAU was down 33% to 100 million. Blizzard revenues were down 43% to 274 million. And their MAU was down 19% to 22 million. But wait for it, King, is up 12% year over year to 682 million. So what does that say? That's something really interesting because what that's showing is basically the traditional model of games publishing, which you, where you sell boxes, declining aggressively. Right. What is printing the most money out of anyone in the ecosystem is fucking Candy Crush. Candy Crush is still <laughs> printing 600, almost $700 million a quarter, which, I mean, I guess it shouldn't surprise me, but somehow it, it, uh, it still does. Um, so I guess pause right there for thoughts. There's one other big announcement that's part of this. I don't want to talk to you, but any, any thoughts before we go on to that? Well, the first thing that actually jumps up, jumps out is that King's own, um, growth is kind of counter narrative to what we on the last podcast dug into about some overall general negative trends in mobile free to play. So like double, double respect to, to King for, you know, being the, the beacon of light in otherwise grim, grim season. Yeah, I think I think the the story of of mobile is like it's going to be uh, the rich get rich and the poor get poor, right? And I think that's what we're sort of seeing is people with entrenched brands and lots of money to weather the arbitrage wars, which are now less effective. Um, you know, the average advertising dollar goes is less effective when the play now as opposed to a year and a half ago. And so, if you have the war chest and the brand and the high LTVs, just keep plowing money into those ecosystems. At this time, you're going to continue to print money. And I think King is king at this. Okay. So one other big announcement on the Blizzard side, which I think is pretty interesting, is Blizzard finally, after six years or whatever, are getting serious about mobile with two major announcements over the last couple of weeks. Number one, uh, Diablo Immortal, which has been coming out for, they've been talking about it for years, uh, which was developed in combination with Netmarble, is now slated for release on June 2nd as a mobile PC crossover. Uh, that's actually very, very, very interesting to me on a lot of levels. There's a nice trailer that we can link to. Um, definitely recommend checking it out. The game looks pretty good if you like a Diablo game. I'm not, it's not my favorite, but I think it'll do, do pretty well. And I'm then excited about it. You are? Yeah, I know yeah. people on our team are huge Diablo players. I'll probably play it. Um, 
Well, let's stop there. I mean, the fact that they're doing PC mobile crossover is pretty interesting. I think that's actually, I mean, we've talked a lot about multi-platform and like transcending just being a mobile only product. I mean, this may be Blizzard's first real knockout out of the park success on mobile. I mean, what do you think? You don't, you don't consider Hearthstone to be that? Yeah, I guess I, I don't because I played it on PC, but it totally is. I mean, but also how are yeah. Hearthstone's revenue numbers overall, like compared to something like Call of Duty Mobile? Do you know? Uh, that, that would be good to pull up. I don't know how it's been. I haven't been watching it as close to the last few years, but to, to speak to speak to um, the, the cross-platform strategy, I think it's super smart. Yeah. It addresses a few things simultaneously. You know, um, one is just the, the, the there was the, the existing player-based negative, visceral negative reaction to just announcing. I think it's like opportunity cost, you know, looking in hindsight. I think a lot of the fan anger was like, why are we de devoting Diablo development resources to a mobile title. So being able to give gamer, like PC gamers, a way to just play and experience that on PC is great. But I also think um, there's a huge advantage of just, you know, as, as we're in more of like a work from home culture and in the last stages of COVID, uh, I think that's gonna increase in engagement and spending in this game, just the fact that people have a, a nicer way to play it when they're right. at home, which our percentage of time at home has only been increasing. The last few years so i i really like that move i think that's going to increase overall ltv um it gives people an excuse a reason to not play a different game when they're at home and want to boot up their pcs so i think that's really great yeah i'm trying to quickly find how much money um hearthstone has made and i can't find it quickly um which is unfortunate um so the other thing that's really interesting is they're also launching a new a mobile title entitled Warcraft Arclight Rumble, which looks, it's an action, they call it an action strategy game, which looks sort of like a hybrid between Clash Royale and Auto Chess with like various game modes, including a campaign mode. So, I mean, this makes sense to me uh, in terms of, you know, they have a really powerful IP. Warcraft is one of the most well-known IPs in the history of gaming. And I'm, you know, fairly somewhat surprised they haven't, you know, tried to exploit this more mobile previously. And it seems like they're finally, you know, really digging in. And my question, I guess, going forward is like, when you look at the Activision Blizzard portfolio, I mean, where is it, where they're succeeding? It's mobile. So is Blizzard pivoting to be a mobile first games company? Like, it sort of seems like it in the short term. I mean, they don't, they have Overwatch 2 in the pipeline. What else is coming down the pipeline for Blizzard? I'm sure they're working on other stuff, but. Um, yeah, I mean, Diablo 4, we know it's being worked on as well. Um, I, I see this as more of an expansion, just long overdue. And I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I think it, Blizzard knows how much it matters that their first, um, you know, I mean, Hearthstone really started as an experiment and as a side, mm -hmm. side project, but their first seriously resourced, you know, pre-planned ahead of time uh, major mobile launches, that these have to be great products. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm actually, I'm glad that they took the time they needed Everything I've seen about both games look like stuff that mm -hmm. is actually going to make me do my first kind of in-depth mobile gaming that I've done in a while. Um, I'm really excited to play both. I'm a huge Diablo. Just give me anything Diablo. Happy to button mash my way through it. But the um, the Warcraft game actually looks super fun. I was a big um, Clash Royale fan, and like I, I love Auto Chess, and it looks good. So yeah, definitely. I well, I, I I saw the I was a little nervous that it was going to be too Clash Royale because I think that's you know that's very you know six years ago as far as you know appetite for just more Clash Royale clones. But it looks like they uh, are developing their own play here. It, it, it's not it's not a, re, a Clash Royale clone with Warcraft skins. It, it it looks like its own unique game. Obviously taking some cues from things like that and from tower defense. 
Um, but I'm, I'm ready for it, man. Bring it on. Yeah. And I think the reason why I'm cautiously optimistic here is that, you know, they seem like they're doing things the way that Blizzard had historically done things, which is we don't really care about what you say about timeline. We're going to take as long as it takes to make the game really good. Right. And it's clear they've done that with Diablo Immortal, which is years making. Um, and, you know, I think that they finally done that with on the Warcraft side as well. So excited to see how this turns out. And, you know, maybe I think it's too late to buy Activision stock. Most of that uh, value has been arbitrized away by Microsoft, but um, still excited about it. All right, um, we'll get close to wrapping up here. I wanted to talk about one thing really quickly, and we'll touch on a few other earnings calls. I mean, as you know, it was earnings week last week, uh, and all the big tech companies announced earnings, and I'm not a tech analyst, a stock analyst, but I did. there are a couple of things that I did want to call out. Um, one of them is an article, I think these are all CNBC. Yeah, CNBC article, Facebook shares a spike on better... Facebook share spike on better than expected quarterly earnings. Um, the quote is shares of uh, Facebook parent Meta jumped 18% and extended trading on Wednesday after the company reported earnings that topped estimates as revenues disappoint. So um, a bunch of stats, I'll try and keep this relatively clear. Earnings per share slightly up about 10%. Revenue um, basically flat. DAU basically flat to slightly down. Um, Monthly active users, basically flat. Revenue per user, slightly up. Um, the growth is a key, a key call out though, is that growth has accelerated to single digits, like 7.5% or so for the first time ever. So, but here's, and, and, but despite all that, and you know, kind of meh results, the stock was way up. And so what, why was that? I mean, I think Facebook, I've been calling over the last month, Facebook the most undervalued stock in the market. And even with the 20% bump, I think that may be true um, just because because of all the things that happened with ATT, um, people basically, and also the pivot to being meta and focusing on and spending $10 billion a year or whatever, a quarter on the metaverse, people are basically saying, hey, we, the, we've completely lost sight for the fact that Facebook still prints $27 billion, $28 billion a quarter. <laughs> and that's like, you know, an insane business by any metric up there with the best businesses of all time. And yet it's trading at a price to earnings multiple of like lower than a mediocre bank. And so when I think about that, it's like, would you rather own like Credit Suisse or do you own Facebook? I mean, it doesn't, it's it's wild to me. If I had $100,000, I would, I would put in a Facebook stock, you know, like, I don't know literally that, but like, I literally think that this is maybe one of the cheapest and underpriced stocks on the market still. Sandra, do you think another reason um, that... Uh, there was a jump in stock price was, uh, I know they also mentioned they're going to reduce their investment level um, in the metaverse initiatives. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, so maybe a sort of like a back to back to fundamentals, like focusing more resourcing on the core existing business. Do you think that's part of the story here? I'm sure it's part of it. And it seemed, it seemed more what his, I listened to part of the earnings call. I see more what he was saying was just like, we're going to basically work, focus on shoring up the fundamentals of our business. Uh, and taking less aggressive bets. And I think that's that's part of it. I think the long-term vision is still the metaverse. Right? And I think he sees that as the only way that they're going to survive the next decade or so. And, you know, but they still, like, I think the, the idea is basically they have a family of apps business and I think they call it reality labs or something like that. It's basically the the future facing business. And they're basically just going to take all the excess cash from the, the apps business and pour it into this other business. And I, I mean, I, you... It's not like you're not, you haven't done well betting against Mark Zuckerberg or Facebook over the long haul. And there's also, they've been able to pivot their business once before with mobile. And so like, you know, we'll see. It's a different time. It's a different place. Their brand has been tarnished in a way that few brands are. Um, but 
I, I would still not bet against this company. <laughs> okay, um, I guess like just to quickly touch on two other things, we have um, both Alphabet and Apple reported their earnings this week uh, or last week. They Alphabet slightly missed expectations almost nominally and Apple slightly um, overperformed expectations revenue up 10%. Both stocks are basically flat. So I guess, what does it say? All the hullabaloo of the pandemic, nothing nothing seems to be changing on the, the major i mean so sorry that, that's a little bit of a, an, over, an oversimplification these stocks have been crushed over the last several uh, right. several months as tech stocks came down but now it seems to be like the like fire and fury of fear of tech is basically at the point now where it seems like these really robust tech stocks are still going to be uh, safe holdings going forward i mean we'll see but i mean do you, I guess, let's put this question to you, Warren. Do you think uh, Alphabet and Apple are going to go down significantly from this point forward? Or do you see these as safe investments for capital? Yeah, no, I, I think you, you you nailed it. Like these these are basically like, you know, our, our blue chips. You mentioned banks banks earlier, but yeah, these are just our, our old man investments for, for like, you know, this generation. They're, these businesses are both operating Apple in particular, I think operates more from a defensive strategy these days of like you know, wealth, wealth preservation. Um, and so I don't, I, I don't see, you know, I, I think Google's a, a little different because there's so many um, it's more like a, an ETF where there's so many different things going on within alphabet that there could be some, I don't even know what would it be, but some outsized breakthrough for, for alphabet. Like, there's a lot of financial ones there. Right. Yeah. Um, but with with Apple, I mean, they're so good at just preserving their their audience and their their revenue. Um, it it does it has been like slightly less innovation in the last decade or so. But yeah, I think it, it definitely in the safe bet category. Okay, um, enough earnings. I guess that's it this week, Warren. Right? Yeah, you want to do an app of the week? Uh, yeah, let's, let's it do it. I know you got an interesting one, so you want to go first. Yeah, so mine is coming out today. It's in the Web3 space, and uh, it is EtherOrcs Dungeons. So uh, EtherOrcs is a very interesting uh, Web3 gaming project. Um, I have been part of the community since literal day zero of it, um, and it has a very interesting history. So EtherOrcs launched as an entirely free NFT set. You just had to basically be part of the community uh, before before it launched so the set was free they didn't even charge um like a developer fee on the smart contract so it was like 100 free um and it went very viral early on because this was the first fully on chain uh mm -hmm. role-playing game was the positioning of it and you know that quotation marks around game in the early phase where it's really more of a uh, a DeFi, more of a game fi experience of you know Staking your assets, breeding more orcs, um, you know, time time based locking strategies. Um, but the you know, people really fell in love with the art and the the community. Uh, the community actually basically insisted the developers start charging a fee, a trading fee, to, so they could generate some revenue. And this was like a couple months in. The set only launched like last fall, um, but it's a really strong small team. They ship updates to the project regularly. And uh, today, what comes out, the dungeons update is like. The, a huge um, evolution for uh, this game and actually becoming a real game. Mm -hmm. So what they launched is, uh, you know, you guys have heard us talk about Crypto Raiders a lot. It 
it definitely, if you like Crypto Raiders and kind of like the, the old school dungeon crawling, um, you'll like this. But uh, this game is, I'd say, even more like a purist dungeon RPG where uh, it, it gave me serious like old like Apple 2E 2C mm. vibes. Um, when I was growing up, like I, I had what at the time was like a super old computer that a friend of mine gave me. And I remember just playing like like old Ultima games and like original RPGs on there. Um, and it's, it's just like a very purist, like classic dungeon crawling game. It's on Polygon chain. Um, they did a good job of making it to where you don't have to own a bunch of, basically if you own any of their assets, you can just own one NFT or uh, they are partnering with a bunch of other communities where if you own a partner community NFT, you can come in and play for free um, and earn some of the gear in the dungeon and get a taste for it that way. So it's been really fun so far. It's it's still, you know, I don't want to like misrepresent that this is like Skyrim or something. It's, it's going to feel like, uh, you know, like I said, like an old, old Apple, like, you know, 1990s, like R R RPG. Um, but it's really cool. What I, what I like about this is we talk a lot about the VC uh, funded Web3 games, but it's very cool to see a game that started with literally no revenue model where the community voted in a revenue model and they brought it from just a free NFT set in what's maybe less than nine months to a fully playable um, role-playing game on, on built on ETH layer two on, on Polygon. So I just really like the story. It's a cool community, very, very non-toxic, very supportive, welcoming to new players. Um, but yeah, it's worth, it's worth checking out ether or extensions. Yeah, or, the art style is kind of cool. It's like pixel yeah. but fun. Um, what's, Standard, the, yeah. what's the, what's the four to get in? What's the four to get in on it? If I want to play. Um, the cheapest way to buy in right now. So there's, there's two existing sets. There's the, the ether orcs Genesis set. And I think they're they're the the premium item, which is there's only like five thousand of those. I think they're like one point five ETH. But you can also play with the allies characters, who I think are like a third to a half of that price. Um, and the whole NFT market is pretty beaten up right now. So yeah, it, it, you can also look into if you want to play like I don't know the full list of the partner communities, but some of those sets might collections might be. Does crypto raiders work? No. That'd be a bummer. I already have that. They're competitors. Perfect. Um, cool. Yeah, Xander, do you have an app this week? I do. So I was on vacation a couple weeks ago, and I ran into this new interesting app called Slopes. And I was thinking of Slopes. What like what is it? It's basically so it it it's basically all trails for skiing. Um, so I went skiing. I was in Denver. Went to Arapaho Basin, and basically what it does is it keeps track of you where you are on the mountain. Uh, it tracks your performance to go down hills. Uh, it lets you follow your friends so you can see where they are when you're sort of out there getting lost. And then it does interesting stuff like uh, tr your basically it'll it'll track stuff like top speed in your routes and top speed against other people. Um, and it just it's really interesting. Uh, because it's basically gamifying real life and in a way that I think there's a few apps now that Strava is another one, um, but really well done, easy to use. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible skier, but it was fun to at least see what I was doing and have a sort of a, a record of that over time. Um, yeah. Now the next step is just to put it on the blockchain. So I'm see a better <laughs> skier. Yeah. Awesome. Nice. That sounds that sounds fun. I, I grew up in Yosemite and skied a lot growing up. I was always pretty horrible at it, but um, if I get back on the slopes, I'll definitely try that out. Awesome. Okay, well, that's it for this week and this season. Um, we want to hear from you, as we said at the top. If you have ideas for guests or topics that you think we should cover, please email us at apptalk at uptick.com. You can also follow us on uptick at uptick on Twitter. 
Uh, or And you should show up at Warren's house before he moves across the country because he's leaving us. Um, okay, Warren, do you want to take us out? Yeah, as usual, podcast is brought to you by the folks at Uptick. And uh, I am not going to uh, shill any Uptick products or services here at the end. I'm going to do something different uh, and shill working at Uptick. So nice. uh, our team is growing again. We have a couple of uh, large partnerships that we plan to announce uh, in the next uh, month or so, if all goes as planned. Um, and basically, you know, all, all core functions of the team here, uh, we look to be growing over the coming months. So, you know, just for a quick summary of, of uptake, we basically have, you know, the, the team that I oversee is called the growth services team. And this is a, a bunch of growth marketers and uh, a creative design team, uh, motion video designers as well, um, making all of the assets for like the in the field work of, of growing our games partners. And then we also have our, our tech and product org that our co-founder, CEO Tom oversees um, with our CTO Mike, and uh, they do all of the building, um, all of our you know the, the the data science team and analytics team, of course, and them engineering. So all of those functions, so engineering, analytics, user acquisition, creative. I'd say those are the core the core functions that you know we're always looking for great people, and even more so for the coming months. We're a super low turnover team. Most of the you know I, I hope. Uh, Mostly a pretty pretty happy team. We we try to treat each other well. So, if you are exploring a career change of any kind, feel free to uh, hit us up. You can get in touch via the website. That's uptick.com, upptic.com. See you guys in May. Talk soon. Talk soon. 